Well, good morning, everybody. For those of you I do not know, my name is Micah. It's an honor to welcome you here to North Star in our accomplice room up in the chapel, out in the theater. For all of you watching online, we're really, really glad you are here. We usually, we start our services very upbeat, but I need to call us, you know, if you've ever been in church before. How many of y'all have ever been in a church and they called a church to a business conference? Raise your hand if you've ever been involved in that, you've been around church a little bit. I'm gonna call us in a business conference. Um, this has been weighing on my heart since last night. Um, I need you to take out a ballot and we're gonna take down our top four teams and we're gonna vote on that today. One of the four we know is the Liberty Flames. We do know that Liberty's at Twitter. I'm just kidding. But anyway, so really, really glad you're here today. Uh, honored that you took time out of your schedule to be here. Glad we can all love each other, even though we have on uh, a separate gear like Florida State and Alabama and Georgia. We got all kinds of gear walking around. We're all here for the same reason, and that's that Christmas is all about home. I remember distinctly being in college and having my car packed up, getting ready to come home. And I remember taking my finals, right? You remember the, those days? For those of us that are a little older now, I took my finals and I began that trek from Lynchburg, Virginia, down uh, I-85, all the way back into Atlanta, down to Fayetteville, where my home was. And I remember pulling on Hickory Road and pulling up that driveway, and I was so glad to be home because I knew what to expect at home. I knew I knew who was gonna be there. I knew what was gonna be involved. I knew that my mom had made my favorite cookies and all the stuff was ready for me. I wasn't gonna have to do my own laundry for a couple days. I was gonna spend somebody else's money. Well, I was spending their money anyways, but I was spending, spending their money a little bit. But it was home, right? Home for Christmas is interesting because... Jesus came 2,000 years ago, and I think we forget sometimes who he came for and why he came. I want you to take your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to camp out this morning. It's one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. It's a parable. Uh, it's a parable. It's a story that Jesus told to illustrate a truth, and we're going to unpack this parable here in just a second. Luke chapter 15. If you've got your North Star notes, probably the easiest way to follow along. If you've got the app, is the easiest way. No, notes you can write on apps, the easiest way, way to follow along. North Star Church, Georgia, in the App Store. Um, I think the problem with Christmas in the society that we live with is I think we can forget what it's really all about. And we can forget the heart behind the story. Luke chapter 15, would y'all stand with me in honor of reading God's word together? So let me, let me say this and we're gonna dive into the story. Jesus never told a story, a parable for no reason. He told it for a reason. He, he told it for a reason because there's something about stories that are memorable. There's something about stories that when we hear a story, it's easier to remember a truth. And that's why Jesus always told stories. He didn't always just preach. He would tell a story because everybody who heard the story, they got it. They understood it. They're like, oh, so that's what it means. Luke chapter 15, and this is a part of three different stories that he told, but this is the, the one piece of the story on how did I get here? 
How in the world did I get here? Verse 11, to illustrate the point further, further, Jesus told them this story. A man had how many sons? The younger son told his father, Dad, I want my share of the estate now before you what? So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. A few days later, the younger son packed up all his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all the money, his money, and while living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one, it's a big part of the story, no one gave him what? What's the next word? When he finally came to a census, he said to himself at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. <clears throat> I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, he embraced him, and he kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's what? So the party began. It's one of the greatest stories. Here's the crazy part of the story. You're in the story, and I'm in the story. We may not feel like it, but this story is ultimately about us, and this story is ultimately about why Jesus did what he did 2,000 years ago when he sent his son on what we call Christmas, would you pray with me? Right where you're standing this morning in Compass Theater, Chapel, watching online, wherever you're tuning in from, would you say, God, help me see me in this story? Would you pray that? And would you pray, God, help me get Christmas? Father, speak to us, speak in us. Father, my prayer driving in early this morning, that misty rain, was that we would confront you today and leave different. And that is my prayer. And God, we give it over to you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Take a second before you're seated, turn around and welcome some folks around you, would you?
So uh, how many of you would say, I have grown up going to church? Like church is just part of your growing up story. Raise your hand, all right? How many of you would say, I really didn't grow up going to church? That really wasn't my deal. Raise your hand. Good, good number of you folks in here. Um, I think the hard part is for us that have grown up in church, I think, I think the Christmas story can get a little... Um, tried for us, right? It's like, it's Christmas. It's the Christmas story. Wow, how do I fit in it? Where do I? And I think about the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son's story is a fascinating story because the pieces of it put together make why Christmas had to happen. So let's, let's break this part, ready? Point number one today. We've got to understand to get this. We have all left home. Did you write that down? We've all left home. All of us. We've all left home. So when said son went to said father, look, it's going to pop up on the screen. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you what? What's the next word? Help me out real quick. Now before you what? All right, so here's, here's what happened. So it was customary during that time that a father would leave their estate to their kids. We know from later in the story, there's two sons. This is the younger son. There's an older son we don't get to address today, but there's two sons. The estate of the father at his death would be split in half between the two boys. When this son went to his father and he said, I want my share of the estate now. What he was saying to his dad was, Dad, I wish you would just die now and I really wish you were dead because I'd rather have your money than have you. It's a powerful part of the story. This son spoke outwardly where his heart was. And here was the deal on his heart. His heart was a long ways from home. I look at the story and go, well, that's not my story. I, I mean, I went away to college, but I didn't leave home. I didn't go to my parents and say, hey, I really wish you weren't around. Would you leave me my inheritance, right? I, I didn't do that with my lips, but boy, we can do it with our lives, can't we? Yes or no question, can we still be home and our mind and heart leave home? Yes or no? Yes. We can live physically in a place, but our minds are, and our hearts are completely gone from it. We learn that from the older brother later in the story. We've all left home. Let me tell you something. Until you understand how you fit in the story, the whole story of who Jesus is does not make sense to you. We have to reach the point we have all left home. Isaiah said it this way. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. We've all left home. This kid physically got up and left. But you do not have to physically get up and leave. The Bible says this, and I want you to write this little thought down, all right? We're gonna move on to number two. 
my heart was born distant from God. My heart was born distant from God. And that we know that distance is created by what, what's called the sin nature that's within all of us. And deep down at my core, I want to take care of me. I do not care as much about taking care of you. Do y'all ever feel that way sometimes? Right? I want to take care of me. I want to take care of my needs, my family, my wants, my desires. Why? Because my heart is deceitfully wicked. And the reality is, we've all left home. If home is a perfect relationship with our Heavenly Father, we've all at at pieces and points of our lives turned our hearts away to go do our own thing. Here's the only difference in this kid. He actually left. He actually went to his pops and said, Dad, hand it over. Give me all the money. Now, understand this back then. Everything you earned and your family and your estate was the picture of who you were. That was what you, that's how you acquired it. So when he told his dad this, he's saying, I would rather you die And if this makes you destitute, that's not my problem. That's what the kid said. Why? Because he was selfish. He didn't care about his dad. He didn't care about his brother. He didn't care about anybody else in the story. We've all left home. Everybody look at me. I don't care how good you look. I don't care how pretty you are. I don't care what jersey you got on today. I don't care where you live, who, where you grew up, how many times you've been to church. We have all left home. Every one of us, every one of us, we've all had a heart that was distant from God. So let me ask you this question. How many of y'all have ever, have ever done something you regret? Raise your hand. Done something you regret. How many of you have done enough things that you regret that you should put both hands up? You know what I'm talking about? So, I mean, that, that's all of us. And, 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 and it may have been accidental. It may have been planned. But we've done things we regret. I remember growing up with their old National Highway used to be where we used to have to go to the store. And so I remember one time I accidentally put a thing of chapstick in my bag and I walked out and didn't pay for the chapstick and we got home, my sister's like, I don't remember us paying for that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't know it was in the bag. She's like, they're gonna come and they're gonna arrest you. I was like nine, I'm like, oh my gosh. And every time a police car would go down uh, Hickory Road, my heart would just start beating really fast, right? Because I, I thought I've done something wrong, which technically, I guess I had. But anyway, so it's all another part of the story. But we've all left home, right? But now that we all left home, Look at number two, we'll never be satisfied apart from God. This kid thinks, if I have all my dad's stuff and can get out of this stinking house and go do my own thing, I'm gonna be happy there. And look at the story. And in that faraway land, and we don't know, was the faraway land like the next town over? was the faraway land, this is what I always thought it was growing up, New Orleans. I don't know why I always thought, every time I heard this, I was like, I bet he went to New Orleans, all right? And so, wherever it was. It doesn't matter where he went. Here's what we know. There he, now I want you to look at the next word. What's that word 
There he what? All his money. Was that really his money? That was his daddy's money. But technically, his daddy had given it to him. It was his now. What his dad had worked his entire life for, this kid wasted it. He wasted it. His dad had probably been saving since his childhood. He had probably taken the inheritance of his parents, put it with his hard work and his earnings, and now he's accumulated something. And in one fail, selfish swoop, this little kid goes off and he didn't blow some of it. He blew all of it and he wasted it. I mean, I'm talking like down to the last penny he was destitute. This is a fascinating Jesus. Boy, what a great storyteller. He said, listen to verse 14. About the time his money ran out. So if the money ran out, does he still have some or does he have nothing? Which one? Help me out again. So if his money ran out, does he have some or does he have nothing? Nothing. This dream he had in his head of what would satisfy him, he spent every dime trying to get it. We don't know. He, it, the Bible says he wasted it in wild living, right? We don't know what that encompasses. We got ideas back to New Orleans, right? And so we got ideas of what, what this could be like, but, but he just spent every dime and he, he just ripped it and just threw it all out there. And you know what he found out? Nothing could satisfy the emptiness in his heart. Now we don't even have to leave home, but we try to. A job, an amount of money, a home, car, a person, if I ever got fill in the blank, that would satisfy me. And you know what we learn? Nothing can satisfy the God-sized void in your heart. Nothing. One of the greatest interviews I have ever heard in my entire life was Bear Grylls. If y'all ever remember Bear Grylls that did all the, the crazy mountain stuff, they put you out in the wilderness and all that stuff. He took Deion Sanders out for a night in the wilderness. Like they're on the backside of nowhere and they're sitting by a campfire. And Deion Sanders' prime time, I mean, I grew up here in Atlanta when he's helicoptering from the Falcons to the Bray. I mean, this guy's larger than life, still is. He's sitting by a campfire with Bear Grylls and he tells him the story of winning another NFL ring. And Bear Grylls said, did it satisfy you? And Deion Sanders said this. He's sitting in a campfire. Just the two of them and cameramen and makeup people. But anyway, so they're, they're sitting by this campfire. But I mean, it was, this, it was this moment. And he said, you know what's so funny, Barry? He said, the night I won this, 
I was so miserable. And I wanted to take my car and I knew where I was gonna drive it off the bridge to kill myself. Dion, prime time. You know why? Because a Super Bowl ring and all the fame and glory in the world can't fill the God-sized void in your heart. You know it, you feel it. You get it, you acquire it, you do it, you accumulate it. You get to the end of it all, you look back and you're like, I am still as empty today as I've ever been. Why? Because we have been trying to stick a piece that doesn't fit in a void. Everybody look at me, that only God can fill. And you can be 30, you can be 60, you can be 15, but you know what I'm talking about. And it's this piece, and the sun went off, and he literally tried it all. And the most powerful part of the verse is the last line, but no one gave him anything. So he is there feeding the pigs. He's Jewish, we assume from the story, he is Jewish. Jews don't touch pigs. Jews aren't ever near pigs. It's the irony of the story. And he is wanting to eat the food that the pigs, this is how bad it is. He's wanting to eat the food that the pigs eat. And they wouldn't even give him anything. Can I tell you a lesson I've learned since being in ministry since 1991, the rearview mirror? People don't ever come home till they're completely out. Till they tried the last thing and their life hits a wall. I mean, they run head on into a wall. And when no one gave him anything, the next verse says, he came to his senses. And he got up and he went home. Number three, and we can't find our way back to home to God by ourselves. We just can't. This son is preparing a speech, right? All the way home, he's preparing the speech. The speech of what he's gonna tell his dad and how sorry he is. And Okay, let's time out. Let's step out of the story real quick. How many of you, I mean, we love this. This is a great story. But how many of you, if you were the father would be waiting on your son for other reasons than to welcome him home. How many of y'all would feel that way? I mean, that's how I'd, I mean, I, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna think I would be like that, but he just blew half of everything I owned. And he has nothing to show for it. It's not like, Dad, I went and invested it and the investments turned bad. No, 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 he didn't invest it, he wasted it. Here's the good news of Christmas. Number one, the son was born in the world to die for me. See, because we all have straying in common, God says, I got a remedy, and here's the remedy. I'm gonna take my son and give him up for the straying son. And he came to die for me, Emmanuel, God with us. It's the story of Christmas. Don't listen, don't make the story of Christmas the manger. That Yes, that's part of it. But the story of Christmas is the cross. That the son came to die for me. Matthew, 
The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined, a light has shined. The Spirit's chasing after me. The Spirit's chasing me. Everybody look at me. Why is the Spirit chasing you? Because he knows you'll never be home without him. I don't know how many people I've talked to that have said, Mike, I walked in the door and I started crying. I walked in, I felt this. I walked in. Why, why is that? Is that me? Is that the music? No, it's the Holy Spirit. There's one old pastor called the great hound of heaven. Why? Because he knows outside Jesus, you will never be satisfied. And the Father's longing for your return. Longing. I remember telling this story a few years ago. I was watching Billy Graham's funeral. Every generation has a unique Human, I believe Billy Graham was one of the unique humans of our generation. You throw a lot of stuff at him, and nothing's sticking. And I remember tuning in. I didn't get invited to Charlotte to the funeral, so I tuned in, and I don't normally tune in to watch funerals, but I wasn't gonna miss this. And one of his daughters, who I didn't know, got up to speak. Never forget it. She got up to speak and she said, a lot of you know my dad from crusades and a lot of you know my dad from television. I wanna tell you about my dad. She said, I'd been divorced and met a man and went to my parents about it. My parents were like, I don't know. I think you're rushing this. I think you need to slow down. My kids, her kids were grown at the time. You need to slow down. Let's just, she said, I was so headstrong. This is what I'm gonna do. And she said, literally, I moved across the country to marry this man who I barely even knew. And she said, I wasn't there a week and I knew it wasn't right. And I knew this was not a place I could stay. How could Billy Graham's daughter get divorced again? How could the icon of evangelical Christianity's wayward daughter screw it up one more time? This is her telling her story. She said, but I couldn't stay anymore. And I called and said, mom and dad, I, I gotta come home. And she said, I began the journey driving across America to wind up the old gravel road in Black Mountain, North Carolina to their old cabin that they lived in. And she said, the entire way I prepared my I'm sorry speech. Mom and dad, I'm sorry I didn't listen. Mom and dad, I'm sorry I screwed up. Mom and dad, I'm sorry for what I've done. Mom and dad, I'm sorry for this. Mom and dad, I'm sorry for that. And she said, all the way. And she said, I remember when my tires hit that gravel and I began to go up that curvy road, dreading getting there. 
She said, I pulled up and I looked up. Standing in the driveway was my dad. And before I could even get out of my car, he wrapped his arms around me, kissed me on the cheek. I said, I'm so glad you're home. That's the story of Christmas. That's the story of the prodigal son. That's your story. And it's my story. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray we never get over the story. Maybe today you're watching somewhere today and you say, Mike, I am a long ways off. I need to come home. Can I lead you in a prayer? Could I? It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I want to come home. I do believe you live for me. And I do believe you died for me. Jesus, take my heart and have my life. Be my personal Lord and Savior. Welcome home. Seth will tell you in just a few minutes what to do with that decision. God, may this Christmas be a rescue trip for us to help others find their way home too. It's in Jesus' name.